Christ wants us to have life more abundantly, but when we go against him after we've been saved, we're as if we're stepping on the very precious blood of Jesus. Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder, Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, and the president of Dayspring Bible College in Mundelein, Illinois. Hi, welcome back to In Grace. Today, we're going to be continuing in our series called Answers, and we're gonna be answering your Bible questions. One person asked, what does the Bible say about gambling? Another says, what does the Bible say about modesty? Uh, we are asked, is it okay to pray that God would end a person's life who is suffering and won't recover? Uh, these are really good questions. Another says, what's the age of accountability? You know, if a child dies before they're of age, the age to be able to understand the gospel, what happens? Uh, so these are really, really good questions, and we're going to talk about them today. Uh, we're going to tackle some tough questions. Hebrews 10, somebody asked about, you know, sinning willfully. Once you're saved, you lose salvation. Well, I believe that once you've received by faith Jesus, he gives you a, an eternal pardon, and therefore you are pardoned uh, from all of your sins, past, present, and future. So we're going to talk about that and understand what does that mean in Hebrews 10, 26 and other places. So I hope you're ready to go. I hope that you want to learn what the Bible has to say today here on In Grace. Right before we get into that, we have an exciting new booklet called Legacy, and it's something that will really help you think through some of the things that you'll need to know if you want a legacy. In other words, after you go to be with the Lord, do you want your life to continue to count, to continue to do things for the Lord? You can do that if you plan well. And so this booklet will help you understand that. You can get it free from us right now when you call us at 1-800-78-GRACE. If it's after hours, just leave a voicemail or go anytime to ingraceradio.com and click on Legacy. Let's look at another question. What does God say about gambling? This is a good one. I've heard people say, hey, pastor, I'm going to gamble or play the lottery. And if I win, I'm going to give it to the church. Here's what I'd rather you do, give it to the church because gambling is poor math, okay? Gambling is just poor math. The people that are setting up the game, lottery or the casino, they have stacked the odds against you. You're going to lose more than you're going to win or they wouldn't be in operation. So instead of buying a lottery ticket for the church, Put the money in the plate, okay? It's just bad math, okay? And, but there are some biblical principles we need to follow. Number one, by the way, if you gamble, does that mean that you're not going to heaven? No, salvation is not based on works, okay? I think it's a poor choice, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what does God think about this? Well, 1 Timothy 6.10, I think those that gamble really wanna win big, right? So I would call that the love of money. <laughs> and 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. We found that a lot of people have erred from the faith, pierced themselves with many sorrows. You know what's interesting? Studies show the vast majorities of lottery winners are bankrupt quickly. It rarely helps someone. It almost always hurts someone. You all of a sudden now have friends that you didn't even know you had. Well, they're not your friends, right? And there's people that are trying to help you invest your money. Well, it actually leads to a lot of trouble. 
The Bible actually warns about get rich quick. There's a verse in Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathers by labor shall increase. Work for what you have. That's a biblical principle. Gambling isn't working for what you have. It's funny that these are questions for today. And some pastors, I heard one pastor, he's actually got removed from his pulpit recently here in Chicago. I'll just say his name, James McDonald. He was uh, found to be playing poker in Las Vegas and he said it wasn't wrong because he was good at it and he won a lot. It's like, well, okay. You can justify anything today. It doesn't make it right, okay? You can find other Christians that say it's okay. It doesn't make it right. We're not being legalistic. We're just telling you it's poor math. Love of money is the root of all evil. Work for what you have and God will bless that. All right, next question. What does the Bible say about modesty? Should women not wear pants? Is that really what the Bible says? There's some good people that believe women should never wear pants, and they'll use a verse in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. And, and believe me, I think cross-dressing is sinful. I think that a man should look like a man, a woman should look like a woman. God created male and female to be unique and different. He created us different. He made us look a little different, didn't he? I mean, we can go through the whole list of how we're different, but we're different. And I think the way we dress should reflect that. So there's two principles here. One, that we should look different. But if you're going to use this verse to say that traditionally men wore pants and women shouldn't, then you have to go back to the culture of the Bible, and that's where men didn't wear pants, right? Men didn't wear pants. So now what are we going to do? I don't know. I mean, we're going to all have to look like we're in a pageant, you know, walking around with our robes and stuff. I don't want to do that. I don't think that's what this is meaning. By the way, those verses in Deuteronomy, read that when you have a chance, that whole passage. Some really are good. Some don't apply to us today. One is, don't wear clothing that has linen and wool mixed together. Are we going to insist on that too? You know, there's an interesting uh, law that if you build a balcony that you put a railing around it, because if someone were to fall off it, you'd be guilty of their blood. It's a really interesting passage and certainly things that are good. And this verse about cross-dressing, believe me, friends, today is a day when we have totally messed up what God has created. A man should look like a man because God created a man in a certain unique way and a woman in a certain unique way, okay? Let's not confuse that. That's not confusable. Well, maybe I think I should have been a woman. Well, you're wrong, okay? God has created us uniquely. There's certain things you cannot change. You could take hormones. You can have surgery. You can dress or whatever. You're still a man, okay? There's a chromosome issue here, isn't there? There's a plumbing issue here. God hasn't made a mistake. And so let's just say, you know what? That's wrong. Cross-dressing is wrong. But what about this principle of distinction? Well, I think women can wear pants. Even in church, I think women can wear pants. I think in church, we should dress up. You know what drives me crazy is fashion trends. If you're always on the cutting edge of fashion trends, there's a trend today of really tight pants for even men. Man, I'm telling you, if I can see heads or tails in your pocket, I think it's a little too tight, okay? It's just, I'm just telling you guys, okay? Uh, and then, you know, this drives me crazy, and I'll probably lose a third of you here, but 
They sell jeans that have holes in them. Jeans that have holes in them. I remember when I was a kid and I got my jeans ripped, I got something else ripped. My mom was not happy. I had to throw away my jeans because they were torn. But now you go buy them like that? Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> we live in a crazy world. Stop and think about this. I was watching a commercial and it was for a shoe company and this woman was proud and she says, I have 450 pairs of this company's shoes. It's like 450 pairs. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, clothing trends can be crazy, right? People can be crazy with all that. But there's two principles. One, we should look different. And two, we should be modest. Okay, so the Bible speaks of modesty. There was a a woman commenting on how she came into church, a different church, and uh, the young girls had short skirts on and they were sitting immodestly. And she just couldn't believe that people in the church didn't have a better understanding of discretion and modesty. No one had ever taught those girls how to be modest. And then she said another woman came in with a low blouse and she was greeting people and men had to avert their eyes. My friends, if people have to avert their eyes because of the way you're dressed, you're not dressing the way that God would want you to dress. Here's the bottom line. When we get dressed, let us remember a biblical principle that applies to almost every part of the Christian life and that is found in 1 Corinthians 6.20. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God. So think about that. What I'm putting on today, will this glorify God? It's pretty simple. I'm not gonna say what you should wear, what you shouldn't wear. I'm just telling you there's biblical principles, modesty and looking different, and let's make sure everything that we do will bring glory to God. Your kids and grandkids are being bombarded by evolution and humanism. Equip them with resources that will help them not only survive, but thrive. As a thank you for your gift of any amount this week, Jim Scudder will send you an action-packed dinosaur adventure called Dinosaurs That Destroy Evolution. When your gift is $35 or more, you will receive two more exciting video adventures, irrefutable creation evidence, a behind-the-scenes tour of Carl Baugh's fascinating Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, and Origins, Creation or Evolution, a walk through the incredible Institute for Creation Research Discovery Center with Frank Sherwin. To make an investment in grace, call now, 800-78-GRACE. Go to ingraceradio.com or write to ingrace. Again, that's 800-78-GRACE, ingraceradio.com, or P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Is it okay to pray that God ends a person's life, a person who is suffering and will not recover, or it is wrong? Is it wrong? This is a tough question. There are people in my life that I've prayed that God would take them home because they were suffering and they weren't going to recover. Sometimes those people were taken home Quickly, sometimes they would recover. There was one really stubborn woman, happened to be my wife's grandma. You know my wife's mom, Joyce, she's a little stubborn. But her mom would take the cake. She was really suffering, really bad shape, and she was old, and I said, Lord, you know, if you will take her home. And I think she heard me, and she's like, no, I'm gonna show him. And she went on and lived like another year. She fully recovered. It was crazy. 
I know that suffering is really, really horrible to watch. It's really horrible to go through. But I also know that suffering can be used of God in life. I know Jesus said, if there's any, in Matthew 26, if there's any uh, other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine. So I think we have to be careful to get out of suffering when God could be using it for a good reason. But I also know that sometimes it's not wrong. Okay, so I don't know how to answer that other than I've done it and I don't believe it's wrong. But God knows your number, right? God knows the day in which you will die. That's really up to him. Those of you going through that or have gone through it, it's tough. It's really tough. But just trust the Lord. Allow him to uphold you in that suffering. Question, when is the age of accountability? So we're talking about children. Is it when a child understands right from wrong or when the child understands and then rejects the gospel or something else? There's a concept we call the age of accountability. We believe that God is merciful to those that can't decide for themselves. So it's a young child or a handicapped person. And sometimes that age is going to be quite old if it's a handicapped person not capable of understanding and receiving the gospel. We do have one clue in scripture about a baby going to heaven, and that's with King David in 2 Samuel 12. It says that uh, David learned that his baby was dead, and he stopped mourning, he stopped fasting, and they were asking him, why are you, why are you not fasting and mourning anymore? And he says, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. So that tells me that David had confidence that that child was in heaven. So those that have lost children or someone that can't understand the gospel dies, I believe that God is merciful and applies the blood of Jesus on their behalf to them. So these are tough questions. We also know that Jesus was brought to the temple at age 12 in Luke chapter 2. And there is some thought about, you know, 12 is the age in which a child now has to answer for themselves. And, uh, but I'm not going to say there is an age. I'm just going to say that uh, it's different for all uh, people. So that's how we'll answer that. Question. One friend asked me, if we sin willfully after we get saved, we lose our salvation. He immediately and correctly said, no, God paid for all our sins. And then that person showed him Hebrews 10. Now, let me just tell you, there's two passages that there's a school of theology called Arminianism. It was to counteract Calvinism. We aren't Calvinists here. We are against Calvinism, which basically says God preordained certain people to be saved. But by saying that, you're saying God preordained certain people to go to hell. We reject that, all five points of Calvinism. But we do believe that once you've received the gift of eternal life, you are saved for all eternity. So Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 6 seem to tell a different story. So how do we understand these passages? If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So that kind of sounds like you've received salvation, but now you sinned willfully, there's no more sacrifice for sin. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. So anytime we hear judgment or fire, you know, we start to think hell, right? Which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law. By the way, anytime you, all of a sudden, an Old Testament principle pops up or an Old Testament law, which is here, we need to consider that in our answer. So he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. In other words, there was an Old Testament principle that if you sin willfully and you knew it was wrong, you did it anyway, despiteful sin, there was no animal sacrifice available for you and they were to execute you. 
in the Jewish life in Israel. So that's what it's referring to, okay? How much more sore punishment, so now we're starting to think hell, right? Suppose ye shall be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. There's a couple of clues in this verse. One is that last verse that we read, he was sanctified. And then again, at the beginning of that passage, where it says in verse 26 that we have received the knowledge of the truth. I believe that these people, that Hebrews 10 and also the people in Hebrews 6 are referring to are born-again believers. So I believe that Calvinists would say these are people that never really saved, they were just fakes. Well, I believe that these are real Christians. Now, some have asked this question. What if I totally turn away from all things of God after I've been saved and deny Christ after I become a Christian, what happens? Let me ask you another question. What if you turned away from your biological parents and denied you were a member of their family? What would happen? The bottom line is it really doesn't matter what you say. What matters is what is true. And once you've received that free gift of eternal life, you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you have everlasting life. John 6, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath that's an old English word. It's present possessive. So you have something right now. You possess something right now called everlasting life. Look at the verse. If you've believed on him, on Jesus, you have, you presently possess something called eternal life. Now, if you could lose something that you presently possess called eternal life, then it's called eternal life erroneously, right? It should be called probation. It should be called something else. It shouldn't be called eternal life. The Bible says clearly that once we've received that free gift of eternal life, we're born again, and once you're born, you cannot become unborn. In Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. As children of God, we are guaranteed everlasting life, but we're also assured of something called chastening. That's what I think this passage in Hebrews 6 is talking about, chastening. We're not under condemnation, but when we turn against God as Christians, and we can, we are going to forfeit our joy and forfeit our peace. And Christ wants us to have life more abundantly, but when we go against him after we've been saved, we're as if we're stepping on the very precious blood of Jesus. It's a horrible way to behave as a Christian. Now remember Hebrews, the context of Hebrews, these are warnings, right? There's a warning in Hebrews 2 about drifting as a Christian. We start drifting a little bit. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop coming to church as frequently. We start to drift. And then Hebrews 3 tells us that you're going to start to doubt. So first is drift. Second is doubt. Soon you're going to become dull to the word of God, Hebrews 5. And then you're going to become lazy in your spiritual life. And that will result in despising, despising the word of God. And that's where we get this idea of despising, this willful sin. There's no more sacrifice. In other words, there's nothing else that God can do to bring you back into fellowship as a child of God. You're still a child of God, but you've committed an egregious, presumptuous sin. And there is such a thing in the Bible as a sin unto death. Not hell, but sin unto death, where God is gonna take you home. You find that in 1 John 5, 16. Look that up later. And then 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. 30, 
there was a person in Corinth that died because of his wickedness. So these are people that have gone all the way to presumptuous sin, willful sin, and God has taken them to heaven early. So that would eliminate a lot of opportunities for rewards, to be faithful, to glorify God, and it's a horrible way to live as a Christian, but you're still a Christian. 1 Corinthians 3.15, this is a parallel passage. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. So when we read about fiery indignation and so on and so forth, God is still holy, and when we sin against him as Christians, we know better, but we're just gonna do what we wanna do, and we don't care. It doesn't mean we're lost. It means that we are so far out of fellowship with him, he only has one choice. And you're gonna end up still in heaven, but I believe there will be regret of the things that you could have done for Christ and didn't because of drifting away from the Lord. You become dull to the things of God and you become despising the things of God. I've seen it, it's horrible. And here's the warning, don't let it happen to you. Don't drift. If you don't drift, none of the rest of those things will happen to you, okay? But Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 6 are real warnings to Christians, but not hell, but chastening of God. I hope we were able to answer your questions today. We've got another great group of questions. May God bless our study of his word, and that's how we can know anything in life, is to know his word. You've heard the gospel today. Jesus died and rose again on a cross. He paid for your sins. We've all sinned. Jesus had none. He died on the cross to become sin for us, and then anyone who receives that gift has eternal life. And now you're in the hand of God. You say, well, what if I mess up? What if I stop believing? What if I just deny that I even believe in the first place? What happens? You're in his hand. You're in the hand of God. You are safe and secure. And there's gonna be times when you do mess up, but you have that security as a believer. You've received a pardon. Once pardoned from all your sins, those sins can never come back on you. You say, well, what about my future sins? How many sins were future when Jesus died? How many? All of your sins were future when Jesus died. And once you've received that pardon, you have been pardoned. You will not go to hell. You will have eternal life. I hope that you have received Jesus. I hope that you have put your trust in him. He is God in the flesh. He created us. We sinned, we rebelled, we don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his forgiveness, but he loves you so much that he sent, God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And he did that without any sin of his own. He died for your sins. He paid for your sins and he rose again. And if you'll believe in him, you'll be saved. And we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about you trying to be better, or trying to be good, because we can't be good enough. Therefore, it's when we put our trust in him that we're given everlasting life. And then once we have it, we have it. Now, can we still sin after we have received Jesus, after we're saved? Yeah, of course. Look in the Bible. Peter did. You know, Paul did. All of these people did. But it's not about what you do before or after salvation. It's when you believe in him, you're saved. You're born again. And then, so you say, well, what happens if I go astray after I've been saved? Well, he's going to treat you like a child, like a son or a daughter. And my kids, I had two daughters, when they were misbehaving, they did something wrong that was harmful to themselves or others. I disciplined them because I love them, because they were my children. That's what God will do. He won't kick you out. 
but he'll certainly get your attention and train you to not do that again. And so I hope that's something that you understand and uh, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Right before we go, I've been trying to make sure that we equip Christians with some great resources. One of the things that I think you can use is the creation evolution debate to get better yourself at answering people's questions, but also to be able to give these video series to people. One's called Dinosaurs That Destroy Evolution, and it's a video series that will really shut the door on evolution, and the gospel is in this. You can get it for a gift of any amount to In Grace. When you give a gift, more people hear the gospel, and you're gonna get this great series. If you have a gift of $35 or more to Ingrace, we're gonna send you two more powerful creation video adventures. As a thank you for your gift of any amount this week, Jim Scudder will send you an action-packed dinosaur adventure called Dinosaurs That Destroy Evolution. When your gift is $35 or more, you will receive two more exciting video adventures, Irrefutable Creation Evidence and Origins, Creation or Evolution. Call now, 800-78-GRACE. Go to ingraceradio.com or P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Thank you for joining us on Ingrace Radio with Jim Scudder, Jr., InGrace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on In Grace Radio.